At American University, we don't just hope for change, we create it. We don't just dream of a better world, we make it a reality. With a graduate degree from AU, you'll access expert faculty and connections throughout DC to develop skills and experience to turn your passion into purpose. And that purpose can make all the difference in your career. Discover the difference a degree makes at American.edu slash gradschool. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am Joe Devine and today's episode is another in the uh, Sensible Transfer series in which we'll be discussing the Premier League's newly promoted three teams, Aston Villa, Sheffield United and Norwich City. And I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Ali and George from the Not The Top 20 podcast, whose expertise in uh, football league far outweighs my own. So uh, <laughs> I'm so pleased to have you here, because otherwise this would have gone terribly wrong. Uh, Ali, welcome. Thank you. We're very happy to be here. George, welcome. Exactly the same, yeah. Delighted to be here. So cheers. A lot of people, when they say Not The Top 20 podcast for the first time, stumble on their words. It's quite a tough one first time around, and you, you've either been practising it. I practised because do you have the the? Do you not have the the? They're not the top 20. Not yeah. the top 20. We're happy with either. Happy with that. To be honest. NTT20 pod. NTT20. Yeah. Our sure. acronym. Yeah. That sounds like a sort of weird cricket league somewhere. <laughs> it puts me off, guys, I'll be honest. So, uh, but I think we're going to start with Aston Villa um, purely because they have bought so many players. Um, and we have a question from a listener, which I thought might be a nice one to kick us off. N17 asks... Do you think the Fulham-Aston Villa recruitment comparison is lazy? N17 is, of course, referring to the fact that Aston Villa have spent close to £100 million already, although it must be prefaced with uh, the fact that a couple of the players were on loan there last season, right? Yes. So yeah. what does that tell us, guys, about uh, what Aston Villa will be doing next season or in terms of the amount of business they've actually spent? Is the comparison with Fulham lazy? It is lazy, yeah, but it's, it's an obvious one to make because of the business that Fulham did last season. But if we look at what happened in their relegation campaign, I think there are a lot more problems than just the recruitment side of things, although they did obviously spend a lot of money and it didn't go particularly well. But for Villa, they were in real trouble after promotion where in terms of contracted players, there were very, very few that they had because of the loan signings were so important that they made. A lot has been said about the importance of certain players last season, mainly by myself, such as Jack Grealish. But you look at someone like Tyrone Mings who came in in January and the impact that he had on their defence was arguably greater. You, you also add in the fact that Dean Smith came in and, and got them playing a different brand of football, which all of these players were A, recruited for and bought into. Suddenly you had a squad that, that didn't resemble anything like the team that had won promotion at Wembley. So having to bring these players in was very important, um, but also improving on them as well. You look at someone like Anwar Algarzi, who's come in um, on a permanent transfer, having played most of last season on the wing in the championship. And whilst he was an important player for them, he didn't tear it up as you'd expect a you know a Premier League class winger to do so and so getting these players in for continuity but also adding to that with quality I think it's really important yeah I think the key is to banish this suggestion that it's the same as Fulham that they're doing a Fulham um, and those comparisons are, are obvious and easy to make I think these are these this is a positive thing for Villa something they had to do a necessity and impressive organisation to some extent as well because we, we've seen many teams who win the playoffs in the Championship you've obviously got about a three week or well, everyone else has got a three week head start on you the other two teams who have been promoted they know that they're going to be in the Premier League and they can sort of plan their budgets and plan their, their business accordingly and Villa obviously the, the massive difference between revenue of being a Premier League club and a Championship club as they would have been if they hadn't won the playoff final and they would have lost their parachute payments that season as well so it's a huge difference. And that's why I'm very impressed the business they've been able to do uh, in just, uh, well, just over a month, really. Mm. Uh, and as George said, absolutely necessary uh, because they otherwise wouldn't have had a team to play uh, on opening day. <laughs> but the key thing to also recognise is it doesn't mean that everything's brilliant and uh, and they're going to be, a, you know, a Wolves, a mid-table side. Yeah. They just needed these players and, and they've acted quickly. So, so far, it, it, it looks good. Okay. Um, let's have a chat about some of the players. Uh, the most expensive is Wesley, who's a centre forward coming in from uh, the Belgian league. Have you have you guys seen him play before? I've, well, we've all seen clips, I think, as uh, as you do when players sign that you haven't seen much of. But um, we asked a few questions from some guys who know kind of the, the, the stat side in Europe a bit, a bit better than us, and and I think he stacks up pretty well um, on on the data side of things. The one my one concern here is that in, in losing Tammy Abraham, um, Aston Villa have lost a, a huge goal threat. And from what we've seen and read, Wesley isn't necessarily one who's particularly prolific. 
Um, he looks to be more in the mould of someone like Jonathan Codger rather than um, Tammy Abraham, where he pulls into wide areas very well um, and will kind of run a, run a defence ragged without necessarily being that poacher in the box. So it seems to me like they still need um, a, a goal scorer, but in Wesley, they, they've upgraded um, a position that, that's important. And uh, yeah, as I say, at 22 years old, he, he's a good age to improve further. The, the role of, of strikers uh, is is really interesting when you move up from the Championship to the Premier League because everyone knows that there's this sort of pool of prolific championship strikers over the last decade or two um, who who pretty much guarantee you 15 goals in the championship and, and many of them for many, many years. Uh, but very few of them have made the step up to Premier League football and continued scoring. I mean, Callum Wilson's done absolutely fantastically with Bournemouth. And I think one of the issues is we're going to probably touch about it on all three teams here. You do have to you do have to make some changes to your style of play. You go from being the dominant team in your division mm. to being probably in the bottom 10% in terms of quality, in terms of technical ability sometimes. And that means a lot of difference in terms of how the matches play out. You're not going to be creating as many chances. You might need a few extra bodies at the back. And what you sometimes find is these guys like Tammy Abraham, I'm not saying he, he wouldn't or won't score goals in a, in, a, in a defensive Premier League team, but he struggled at Swansea, a team that just couldn't really create him the, the sort of chances that he thrives on. And if they're not getting and taking those chances, sometimes these guys lack a little bit in terms of all-round play outside of just pure goal scoring. Mm. Uh, and I think Wesley, it seems like he doesn't have the, maybe the poacher's instinct of Abraham, but he might offer a little bit more, give the defenders a little bit more to think of outside the box, where Villa are going to be playing a, a, lot of their, a lot of their football, most likely. Yeah, OK. Perhaps this is a good time then to talk about how, what the type of football that Villa actually play, because mm. there are some stylistic differences between the three clubs that are coming up. Broadly speaking, what can we expect, do you think, to see from Aston Villa in the Premier League next season? And do you also think they might have to make some concessions for the type of for their type of play also? I, I think at the top of, the, of this, it's important to say that all three teams came up playing a, a different brand of, of possession-heavy football. And so naturally, now they're playing in the top tier, they're going to have to either really stick to their guns, which would be difficult to do, I mean, we saw Huddersfield struggle massively when they tried to mm. maintain that kind of uh, level of football against better opposition, or they're going to have to change the way that they play. Interestingly with Villa is we often saw after Dean Smith came in, the games in which they struggled was against a low block. You look at the West Brom playoff games, for example, which were arguably their two worst performances um, in the campaigns, and they really struggled to break teams down. Whereas if they keep the ball from deep, which is what they did under Smith a lot of the time, defenders very happy in possession. You had the likes of McGinn and Grealish dropping deep as well and picking the ball up. With that space in behind, that's where they became dangerous. And again, against Derby, a game in which they saw very little of the ball in the playoff final compared to the rest of the season, it was in those areas where they were able to really to really hurt the opposition. So in that respect, I think the Villa are the one team who maybe could be suited by the change in style they're going to be facing when they come up now because I, th I think they're relish playing on the counter. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned. I'm not quite a soul on that. I mean, Smith is as... as British managers go uh, fairly continental in the style that he's always looked to 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 impart. Uh, all of his teams that we've covered have been possession heavy. Whether that was Walsall in League One, at Brentford in the Championship, and then Aston Villa when he took over, the difference uh, but between Steve Bruce's Aston Villa and Dean Smith's Aston Villa was like nothing you've ever seen really uh, in a succession of managers, and and that went down very well with the, with the Villa fans because it is you know aesthetically pleasing or, or you know conventionally so because there's a lot of short passing in it and he wants that sort of thing I am a little concerned because the makeup of their midfield especially last season was Conor Hurahan at the base uh, with McGinn and Grealish in front and those two we think are fantastic players who will easily make the step up to the Premier League but I think the general feeling is and it looks like they might have made some moves to, to sort of combat this that they might need a little bit more steel uh, at the base of midfield. But then again, maybe you lose a, a little bit of that passing quality that Huran has. So it's mm. all about making compromises when you go up now to the Premier League. Yeah. Some teams do it better than others. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little concerned they might be a bit leaky, put it that way, because Smith's team's always very good going forward, not always that good uh, at the back. But it's interesting looking at the players they tried to, to, to get in for that holding midfield role. I mean, Calvin Phillips was the first one who um, leads fans and leads United. And I think Calvin Phillips were all desperate to, to stay at the club because of the impact he had there last season in that role. And now it looks like Douglas Louise will be coming in, um, who of course has work permit issues at Man City, which means that he can't play there, but seemingly will be fine if he goes to Villa. A seemingly brilliant season last season in La, in La Liga. And How does that work on the work permit visa issues? I would have thought if I think he couldn't you, play You're going to have to a different guest for that, I think. <laughs> I, I can only pass on one thing I've seen, but I must admit I, I haven't put in the calls 
no hard-hitting journalism to get to the bottom of it. But I think there's a suggestion that essentially Aston Villa, in order to get a permit for him to play, yeah. almost have to make a, a promise of sorts that he will play a certain amount of games or okay. a certain percentage of the minutes, mm. which of course Manchester City could not make uh, those sorts of assurances. Okay. You mentioned Brentford there, and of course one of Villa's signings has been uh, Esri Concer, centre-back. Um, will you tell me a little bit about him? Because Brentford, I suppose, have managed to make a living <laughs> over the last half decade yeah. or so, making very astute signings and then selling them on, and Concer appears to have cost Villa 13, 13 and a half million pounds. Will you tell me a little bit about him, the sort of player he is? Yeah, so Brentford have made... Uh, uh, circa £10 million profit on a player that they bought just 12 months ago. They signed him from, from Charlton, who are in League One, a uh, really highly rated academy product, like so many others off the Charlton uh, conveyor belt, like the likes of Adamola Lookman and Joe Gomez um, uh, as well. And Joe Aribo, of course, has just moved to Rangers. So Konza uh, has always been, throughout his sort of youth career, just the absolute standout, um, whether it was playing in central midfield earlier on and then at centre back. He, he's He's one of those players that everyone, no, no one doubts that he has the potential to be an absolute Rolls-Royce defender because he's very, very good technically. He's got, you know, he's all the sort of things that scouts like in, in young defenders, good, good size, mm. ability to fill out and, and get a little bit stronger. So all the, all the potential attributes are there, I think. And this is a bit of a ripped off from a bit of a football manager parlance, but the um, <laughs> but I think the current ability and the potential ability there's still a bit of a gap there. Okay. Um, he, is he likely to be starting? This is the thing. I, I don't think so. Mm. Uh, it looks like they're trying to get a, a chap called Engels yeah. in. Um, interestingly, I note that uh, John Percy reported that uh, Dean Smith tried to sign Engels at Brentford last year, um, which. So even though we don't know much about Engels, we would say that that'll probably be quite a good signing because that it won't have been yeah. Dean Smith who tried to sign him for Brentford. They mm. have a recruitment team that while they all work together, he would have been coughed up by the by, by some other very, very smart people in that Brentford recruitment team. So I don't think Conzo will be the starting centre-back, but there's plenty of scope for minutes and um, I do think he'll develop into a really good player. Okay. Yep. Um, the other player to talk about is, uh, is Jota from Birmingham as well. Would you give us a little bit about him? Another ex-Brentford player as well. Um, <laughs> is he really? So he is, yeah. yeah he was um, playing under Dean Smith a few years ago. He is a technically brilliant footballer. Um, I think the move to Birmingham was one that uh, you know, quite clearly didn't work out for him. He was still one of their standout performers last season, playing off the right-hand side. Um, he's not a winger who's blessed with, with searing pace, but it's mm. his technical ability that really sets him aside. And, um, and I think when he left Brentford, we were of the opinion that he was one of the best players in the championship. Uh, the, as I said, the move to Birmingham, he didn't really excel there. He played in a pretty poor team with some, some managerial uh, difficulties, shall we say, um, a constant churn of managers there. And, and you do feel like as much as Birmingham fans will hate to him, he say it, this is a move that looks to suit him far better, playing mm. under a manager that he knows very well, playing in a team who will look to keep the ball down and play it, um, to and play to his strengths. Uh, if you think last season they had Albert Adoma on the right-hand side, you have to say that's an immediate upgrade mm. um so he's a player that I'm, I'm personally really excited to see him getting a chance in, in the premier league um i think it's come a couple of years later than, than i thought it would have done but um but as he's, i say he's also the oldest i think of their recruits so far mm. um and transfer mark says that their the average age of arrivals is just over 24 which you would think you know when we think about bulk transfer businesses is a good progressive thing to be doing are you either of you worried at all that there might be a, a lack of incoming experience or is there a sufficient experience within the squad to be uh, to sort of bridge the gap between the championship question. and the Premier League? Uh, I think it's a concern. George and I definitely lean towards, you know, recruiting young players being the way forward and the best way to run your club. And mm -hmm. uh, Aston Villa have not been a very well or hadn't been a very well well run club for upwards of a decade. They're, sure. they're dropped down the Premier League from being an established top half team to always battling relegation, finally getting relegated. They didn't do a very good job dealing with that relegation. I mean, the fact it took them three years to get back up again is actually, to my eyes, a failure. But in the last year or so with new owners um, who run a basketball team in, in, uh, in the States, an NBA team, um, they wanted to go down the more modern route with a director of football or a sporting director type thing. So mm -hmm. everything's kind of starting to stack up with a bit of a different vision, a bit more modern way uh, of going about things. But you know, you're right that there will be a lot of fans um, who, who will be very concerned that the maybe the experience and the, the grit and some of those intangibles might be missing because they lost, I think, 14 players 
uh, from last season. Mm. Some of them with loans, but players like Glenn Whelan and Mila Yedinak, um, these were... The old guard. They were the old guard. They weren't playing particularly well, but they had a no. lot of experience. So how you much... You don't know how much the impact on the on the no. Exactly. Room, no. How much no. importance do you put on it? Personally, I, mean, I love having older people around. It makes me feel very comfortable <laughs> and safe. So, you know, I, I worry about these young players. Yeah. I really do, guys. Uh, you mentioned uh, the, the base of central midfield before. Let's have a think now, if we can, about uh, areas in the Aston Villa team that we think might be obvious areas that could do with improvement, let's say. Yeah, I mean, I, I think up top still. I mean, even with, with Wesley coming in. Um, Is there more money to be spent up top? I'd, yeah, I'd have thought so. I mean, they've been linked to, to Neil Morpé, who's another Brentford player, right. um, who, who, who'll know Dean Smith very well. But he, he is someone who has proven over two seasons at Brentford that he's a natural goal scorer. Um, they do not want to lose him. And there's also interest from Sheffield United as well, which I think feels like it's closer to being... Um, the deal if if, if one does happen um, but it just seems to me like if you, if you look at the team last season someone like Grealish doesn't get enough goals that his ability suggests and you can't rely on him to do so the same arguably the, with McGinn from wide areas again El Ghazi's not necessarily a prolific goal scorer mm. I don't think Kodja we can rely on him to be a Premier League class you're relying on a new signing from Europe mm. um, so someone like Morpé who would come in and I think does just guarantee you if you're creating the chances he he will score goals and maybe someone like Jared Bowen as well from Hull, who plays off the left-hand side, scored 22 league goals last season in the championship, can yeah. just provide a bit of impetus and a bit of um, and, and another scoring for threat as well. So they're the EFL guys, I think, could come okay. in. I mean, the the obvious other thing is the, the goalkeeping situation is still very much up in the air. Um, they've had a strange time and an unsuccessful time with goalkeepers. They had Sam Johnston on loan two seasons ago. He was very good. And then he ended up with West Brom last season and... I think they, I think they probably played three or four different goalkeepers over the course of the season, and they kept buying new ones. Um, Nyland in the summer, then Kalinic uh, in January. Neither of them stuck in the team at all. Fans and coaching staff clearly losing faith in them. Mm. Ended up finishing the season with Jed Steer, who's kind of been a, a bit of a career backup in various different places, sure. and, and and actually performed quite well. But you know, unfortunately for play, people like him, he did perform well, but fans are quite quick to sort of say, thanks very much, but mm. we don't think you're Premier League class. So I don't think he'll get much of a chance, uh, to be honest. So they're in the market for a goalkeeper. We know that. Yeah. Names like Tom Heaton being bandied around, that would make a lot of sense, I think. I'm sure that he wouldn't command a particularly high fee. He's 33, and, and I'm not convinced if he's going to be Burns, Burnley's number one. But brings a bit of experience, fantastic shot stopper. That would make a lot of sense to me. Okay. I'm. I would be a little bit worried listening to the two of you because in the same conversation we've we've heard that that Smith is a he's a great attacking coach and maybe a little bit wobbly going backwards, but also that Aston Villa perhaps don't have enough goals in the side. Yeah. Those two things in combination <laughs> don't sound like a Premier League side that is is certain of uh, of of staying up uh, next season. So I suppose the, the final question to ask you both on on Aston Villa is: Are they going to stay up? I think it's going to be really hard with all these three. You look at the Premier League table now and it's very tough. Unless if you take away the promoted teams, there's no clear candidates for relegation. You can make a good argument for all of them. Maybe Newcastle, Newcastle being the one now, um, if Steve Bruce does take over, who look like they are in a far worse position than they were at the back end of last season. I think the Villa of the three, I mean, I think they're seen to be the most likely to stay up. I don't see it that way. Um I think the investment that they've put into the squad means that it's really important they do stay up. And I think the reason why maybe we might sound a little bit pessimistic is because I do think there is more money to be spent and they are going to be buying more more players. I think we'll certainly see, see a goalie coming in. Um, as Ali said, we'll, I'm sure there'll be more attacking reinforcements as well. I just can't imagine they're going to lose Abraham and, and rely on, on, on the players they've got at their disposal at the moment. So I, I'm not pessimistic, but I don't think I'm as optimistic as, as the general public seem to be. Yeah, pretty similar. I mean, we don't put a huge amount of scope into the so-called size of a club and, the, you know, how recognisable they are or how big their history is and, and, and things like that. And in the EFL, that's always a hot topic of conversation and a topic of debate amongst fans as who's, who's the bigger club and all that sort of thing. Mm. Um, trying to get past that, because I think that probably feeds into why some of the, the wider public who don't follow the EFL as closely might see Aston Villa and think, well, there are bigger club than Sheffield United and Norwich City. That's not me saying that. That's uh, That was that was why we had those. Um, and, and therefore, I'm sure they can re-establish themselves as a Premier League club. But yeah. we definitely don't think it's going to be that easy. And, and, you know, they won the playoffs, less time to prepare. They probably weren't 
I think by the end of the season, they were probably about as good as Sheffield United and Norwich. They finished the season really strongly. Mm. Um, but there wasn't much between all three of them. So it's going to be a big battle between, to be honest, all three of them. Because as George said, it's difficult to to pick which current Premier League club is going to have a shocker and you know might take up one of those spots without putting out much of a fight. Okay. Um, Ali's visual uh, air quotes cue there is a good time for me to tell you that you can watch the podcast <laughs> on YouTube by searching for a TIFO podcast. If you do watch today's podcast, you'll see that Ali has uh, commandeered the good camera. And he's uh, there's a bit of a sponsorship there from Diet Coke, of course. Uh, TIFO's big sponsors, Diet Coke. And uh, George has the camera that makes him look ill. Yeah. So thank it's you for fault. taking one on the chin there, right. George. This is never... Today's episode of the podcast is supported by The Economist. Now, Alex, did you know that The Economist is about far more than just economy? Yes. Uh, did you know, Alex, that if you text TIFO to 78070, you can get a free print copy of The Economist? I did know that. Uh, did you know that it helps readers prepare for what is going on in the world around them? A fact that you are going to ably illustrate for us now... Uh, which is by talking about an article on this, which we were going to talk about anyway. Yes. So this is an article from the United States section of this uh, edition. Put it down. What do you mean, put it down? I hate the States. Oh. <laughs> I, you know, um, the, I hate freedom. Yeah. What else do I hate? Apple pie. I hate apple pies. Yeah. And I hate dusty roads. Okay. And that's why I don't live in Margate. Rattlesnakes. Mm. So this article is called Better Play, Lesser Pay. And it's about the US women's national team. And it's a really, really good, clear, quick explanation of the current lawsuit that uh, the women's team have brought against the United States Soccer Federation. This, and this, we talked about this a little bit beforehand. And what I like about it is there's a lot of... Uh, to put it bluntly, there's a lot of crap spoken around this particular subject and uh, yeah, this well, piece in particular. It's, it, it strips a lot of that. It just deals on the facts, doesn't it? It deals in the facts. Yeah. So, Which um, is what TIFO does. Essentially what it says, basically, and this, this was written before they won the World Cup, um, So, but it, it's anticipating that might well happen because they're the best team in the world. Um, so basically the disparity in pay violates the Equal Pay Act and Title Seven of the Civil Rights Act. Um, it's got some numbers around how much men and women uh, within the two respective national teams might expect to earn in terms what, of friendlies. What is the disparity? So if the women's team were to play 20 friendlies, sorry, if each team were to play 20 friendlies over the course of the year and win them all, the women would receive uh, $99,000, whereas the men would net $263,000. Okay, so that's quite severe, isn't it? So that is a pretty big disparity. Particu and I know this is an argument made before with the USA, but particularly when you take into consideration the disparity in quality well, yes. uh, of the women's team versus the men's team, i.e. the women's team win the World Cup, the men's team are, again, are total win the World Cup again. Rubbish. What I like about it is, as, as you said, it, it, it just makes very, very clear what the arguments are, what the possible defences are, who the burden of proof rests with, which is the United States Soccer Federation. And I think after the World Cup... Um, and, and this is, you know, this is a hugely charismatic and exciting American women's team. And there's, you know, like Ashlyn Harris's Instagram stories are absolutely hilarious. There's things and, to like less, though. Sure. I didn't like the tea thing. Okay. I'm fine. a traditionalist. Okay. I, I, you know, the point is, don't go near the tea. The point is that this article cuts through all of that kind of brouhaha that surrounds the issues in terms of the personalities, in terms of whether you like Megan Rapinoe or whatever. And it just says the facts are these and these are the things to consider yeah. and this is the likely outcome. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, listen, uh, as we said at the beginning, The Economist is about far more than just economics and finance. Mm. It also covers a range of subjects from world politics and business to science, technology, arts, the environment, and even sport. Yes, sport. Yeah. Uh, so if you want, if you're interested in more stuff than just the sport, if you're interested in the sport, there is plenty of it. It's of a very good quality. Uh, I should mention as well that the copy that Alex is now... Uh, showing in front of the video is not a copy that they gave us for free. It is a copy that Alex purchased himself before this agreement was even in place. So that should tell you something. But there's, a, there's an article here about uh, Erdogan and Turkey, which is a subject 
dear we really to covered. our hearts after yeah. we did that video where we um, absolutely talked about how he uses football. So there's yeah. there's loads of kind of nice tie-ins and crossovers here, and it's been a source of trusted intelligence for over 170 years, which is almost as long as America. It's for the kind of person who never stops asking questions and wants to know why the world is the way that it is. I mean, I read that like I was uh, making fun of it, but uh, that's because when I read things about myself, I can't help but be self-deprecating. Yeah? Did you like that? But seriously, for your free print copy of The Economist, do text 780-70-TIFO. The word TIFO. Text that to 780-70-TIFO. Mm, thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Uh, let us move on, if you don't mind, to, to Norwich City. And I'd like to say at the beginning of this that half of my family are big Norwich City san- fans. Nice. So do be very nice. Also, the caveat of the fact that I haven't watched Sheffield United or Aston Villa uh, for the last couple of years. I watched Norwich a couple of times last season. In my experience of visiting Carrow Road in the past, it's always incredibly boring and they're poor. But uh, I'm trying to remember who I, who I watched them. I think it was QPR towards the end of the season. And Norwich, they thrashed them. Yeah, they thrashed them. And Norwich uh, even had a red card, I think, and still scored two yes, goals afterwards. Yes, Wendy was yes. sent off, wasn't That's it? That's right. Yeah, was. And um, I've ne- I don't think I've ever seen them play so well. And, of course, my opinion means nothing in that regard. It's totally out of context, and I haven't seen the other games. You, but, you, um, went, you went to Cairo Road for the, for the game that was on TV, though. Yes, nice... I like to do that. I like to fuck <laughs> the trend, George. I'm not a TV guy. I don't fall for these, uh, these modern rules. But Norwich uh, haven't done quite as much business as Aston Villa. I'm having a look now. A lovely goalkeeper, Ralph Farman, who, really who is on loan, though, right? But who... uh, yes, appears to have come with a loan fee, which is always a hmm. uh, a suggestion that he's, you know, serious business. And he, he's obviously a bit older as well. I think we're probably looking at the same website here. Are we, looking, <laughs> are we both looking at transfer marks? <laughs> yes, we are. Lovely. Um, yeah, the 30-year-old uh, Schalke goalkeeper. Um, the Bundesliga is definitely not my strong point, but it's a name uh-huh. that, you know, it's a recognisable name. He's, yeah. he's, he's not coming to... It's a lovely name. He, he, put it this way, we know he's not coming to be Tim Krul's backup and sure. sort of help him warm up before the game and then and then mm-hmm. sit back on the bench and that and that's your lot. I think Krul was, in many people's eyes, Norwich's weak link last season, which is a little surprising given he's the most recognisable name on their team sheet for, mm-hmm. you know, for a Premier League fan looking at their squad. Uh, but he was a bit of a weak link and, and a lot of the... Uh, the XG stats uh, for goalkeepers that have been released in the last few weeks have suggested that he was actually pretty below par and below average championship goalkeeper. So mm. that would have been an obvious area of recruitment for Norwich. And, you know, you said yourself, they haven't done a huge amount of business compared to Aston Villa. Again, the necessity wasn't there, or rather they certainly don't think it's there. I think this is a popular, a sort of popular way of going about things for their fans. You talked about the atmosphere, uh, which hasn't always been good at Carrow Road in, in, in the last five, ten years. They've yo-yoed somewhat and had some some good times, some bad times. Mm. I mean, genuinely, you know, and I do believe this, that the, the whole atmosphere and the whole club has been completely transformed, essentially. Um, it was the loudest I'd ever heard it this season. Yeah, yeah. and it, you know, and it's... It's on a footballing level with the structure being put in place and the big hire of Stuart Webber, the sporting director, who gets a lot of praise and rightly so because mm. everything he's touched so far has turned to gold with Huddersfield and, and, and now with Norwich. Um, but, you know, what they've been able to do to sort of reconnect with the fans as well and, and, and all of that translates into atmosphere and games, really, and, and sort of general good vibes between fans and the club and, mm. and that's what they've got now. So I think there was so much love for this team that's won them promotion uh, because it was so unexpected at the start of the season. So many young players, which is very rare. I think three or four academy graduates playing key roles. Um, and it would have been the, clearly, to my eyes anyway, the wrong thing to do to uh, to sort of tear it all up and, and right. start again. So it looks yeah. like they're more or less, I think I'm right in saying, George, sort of sticking with what they have. There's been some new contracts for some of the, some of the players um, and everyone's believing in, in the Canaries this year, that's for sure. Mm. Well, a question off the back of that from Yuha Setela. Do you think Puki, Timo Puki, will succeed in the Premier League? That's the big question, I suppose, for Norwich. Talking about goals as it, as it relates to, uh, to Aston Villa, Puki had a phenomenal season in, in the Championship. Mm. Is he going to make the step up? It's say such yes. a hard question to answer because... Do say yes, though. <laughs> I'm not going to say yes. Oh, dear. I think, so, I mean, Timo Puki won... <laughs> Uh, the championship player of the season last season, deservedly. He's been given a new, I think, three-year contract at Norwich, deservedly. He scored so many important goals, so many late goals that were so crucial to their, uh, to their promotion and scored loads of really good goals as well, technically brilliant goals, yet there is still this nagging feeling that he just, 
it was just a bit of a purple patch. You look at his mm. career as a whole and he's never been particularly prolific. You look at his time up in Scotland. I mean, normally if, if a player can't score in, 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 in those leagues, I wouldn't really bat them to score in the Premier League. We've seen players who can't score in the Premier League go to Scotland and score hatfuls. Mm. So I, I think that a what, reliance... What if it's the magic streets of Norwich City? I mean, maybe though? it is. What, I, what, I if, think it's, what if it's the kind-hearted Daniel Farker as well? Yeah. Such and, and, a lovely man. But we also look at at kind of the underlying data of Norwich last season and, you know, they scored, I think, 20 more goals than their XG um, four suggested sure. they should have done. You can definitely keep that up forever, I think. That's, yeah, that that's is, what that, that is means, sustainable. Yeah, yeah, and it's the classic where, you know, if, if Pookie is going to continue scoring the rate he is at the moment, then, you know, he's, he's one of the best strikers in the world. He's one of the best strikers in the world, <laughs> exactly. So, so you have to give him a bit of leeway to say that against better defenders, mm. um, it's probably unlikely he's going to continue scoring. I mean, he, he will still be a massive player for them next season. But in terms of players, I think they need to bring in. I mean, they brought in um, Joseph Dermich, who is um, who had a, a kind of prolific spell a couple of years ago, but he's very much a target man. And, uh, and I think will be either used in games where they're going to not be able to play their kind of high possession game and, and try and have a guy up top who mm. can make the ball stick somewhat. Because um, in terms of the way that Norwich play, would would we? It's a it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I can both equally imagine Daniel Farker, the strength of personality and the the strength of the philosophy behind what they're doing at Norwich, not being particularly willing to change how the how the team are playing, but also um, as we mentioned with Aston Villa, and I'm sure we'll say with Sheffield United as well. It's a different context. It's a step up to a different league. Mm. Norwich won't be able to be on the front foot in the way that they have been in games throughout the past season. So with that in mind, do think, you think their well, style of play is going to change I think, significantly? I think because of key personnel, it's going to be very hard for them to, to change the way they play because they, mm. they've got a squad full of just really technically good players. You look at their back four, which we assume will be the back four that starts next season. And you've got Max Ahrens, who's 19, playing right back, who if you're asking him to do anything that isn't, you, know, you want him to flourish and play his technical game because he's a brilliant player. Mm. Jamal Lewis, who's 21 at left back, very similar, technically very good. And then Ben Godfrey at centre back, who's who's 21 as well, I think. Mm. You can't ask these guys to suddenly sit deep and try and soak up pressure because A, it's not the way they play their game and B because of inexperience realistically it's just going to just going to cause trouble so can we think of any examples of teams that have successfully made the step up playing the type of football that they did in the championship well, which is Bournemouth similar to this is the obvious yeah. one isn't it yeah. they, they you know they, they pretty much nailed it right um, and, and now they're considered to be one of the most entertaining teams in, in the Premier League but also without spending a great deal of money exactly but one thing that we'll remember from their early days in the Premier League was they always conceded a lot of goals and thankfully they're able to score plenty as well. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if, if it's similar for Norwich. I mean, they weren't particularly strong defensively, I wouldn't say, in the championship. Yeah. Um, compared to Leeds, compared to Sheffield United, it's, mm-hmm. it, I didn't put them on the same level there. Um, they had a couple of very strange quirks of, of, of stats and, and circumstance. I mean, they, they were behind at half-time in their home league games more often than they were ahead more often than they were drawing. So out of the 23 games, half-time at Carrow Road, they were behind eight times. They were ahead seven times and they were drawing seven times. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, eight times, I think it is. But they only lost, I think, twice when they were behind at half-time. So there's a, a real resilience and a strength of character, which bodes very, very well when we talk about those intangible things mm. that we spoke about uh, back in the Aston Villa discussion. Um, but there was also a, a propensity to concede the first goal in games where they you know, should have been dominating and... Uh, and of course, it's great that you can turn it around, but ideally you wouldn't be that in, in that position in the first place. So the other big difference was first half versus second half. Um, in the first half of games, uh, in all league games, home and away, 34 goals for and 29 against, so a plus five goal difference. And in the second half of games, 59 goals scored, so 25 goals more uh, and 28 conceded, one less. So a, a, a massive gap of plus 31 goal difference so I believe that the terminology the statisticians use are, is wanting it more though, <laughs> yes. it? that's the case for uh, the second half of <laughs> yeah exactly which might not reflect what people would see if they just look at the team sheet the sure. nationalities of, the, of the, the management staff and the players but there you go yeah uh, Patrick Roberts has come in as well on loan should we, should we have a quick chat about him because I expect that he will be there assisting Pookie and scoring some goals potentially and he's still very young yeah I think he's uh, he's a good and necessary addition to their wide options yeah uh, they play in a four-two-three-one system, but Emi Buendia, who plays off the right, I would call essentially a sort of auxiliary number 10, partly because of Max Ahrens, who George spoke about, who's so adept to getting forward from right back that in a possession-based system, he can more or less take up the position of a winger uh, in possession in the final third, at least. 
Do you think Buendia is the sort of player who who might have attracted interest and moved to a Premier League club had Norwich not been promoted? Is is he of the caliber? Yeah, I would think. I would think almost certainly yeah. because he stands think, out in games, right? I think he's he's someone from these three teams we're talking about who's got the pot, you know the potential to go as high as he wants. Really, I think people are going to wake up to how good he is very quickly. Mm. He's he's so good in tight spaces. He's got such a a clever footballing brain. Him and Pablo Hernandez probably the two you know, really attacking technical creative players of the championship last season. Uh, and he's still very, very young, of course. Um, but uh, what were we discussing? Patrick Roberts, we were talking yes. about. That's right. So yes. um, on the other side, you had really Onel Hernandez was, was the starting left winger, um, really low centre of gravity, ball carrier, dribbler, mm. not, not a massive goal threat. And I wouldn't, I mean, certainly not an, an old school winger who's going to whip in a lot of crosses. That's not what he's asked to do, of course. He's asked to come inside. Mm. I think Roberts is going to give them uh, more quality than Hernandez uh, okay. does. So I would expect to see him starting possibly off the left. Okay. Um, and in terms of obvious areas for improvement, th- th- there aren't too many as we, as we discussed because the team is quite well balanced already. Um, and there's a there's a delicacy to it. Um, perhaps more than the other two teams who have been promoted, you would imagine that were Norwich to bring in too many players that might unbalance whatever magic and cobwebs it is that has, uh, that has, as you say, helped them to outperform their XG significantly last season. But are there any areas beyond goalkeeper and, and, and striker which we've already seen that the team might improve? I think a bit of depth yeah. wouldn't go amiss, certainly in the, in the fullback positions. Yeah. They've got four centre-backs, of which I'd say Zimmerman... Godfrey and Closer should be fine. I'm uh, not so sure about Grant Hanley, so maybe a fourth centre-back option. But it's difficult signing, sort of knowingly signing depth, knowingly signing players that aren't quite as good as the ones you have, but yeah. maybe are a bit younger. They've already got such a young team that, you know, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they go about it. I mean, they've already got a lot of central midfield options and they've got a lot of different combinations they can play. I think Tetty was their big sort of enforcer in the first half of last season, pretty much lost his pay- place halfway through and they went with two pretty che- technical options in that double pivot. Mm. Um, so Tribal's going to have a job on his hand as the real sort of enforcer. I'm not sure that suits him that well. Maybe a bit more of a tough tackler um, in those areas. But otherwise, I think we're, we're pretty excited to see this Norwich team take on the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, the one area I'd, I'd maybe say, I mean, we've spoken about Brendia, um, who kind of does come in off that right-hand side into that number 10 role. And, and Marcus Steepman is immensely popular with um, with Norwich fans. But I do wonder if there's maybe, if we're talking about depth, just another option in that position there, just someone who um, just plays in that attacking midfield role, both as someone who can score goals and create um, and just provide a, a bit of competition for that for that position. But I've mentioned that to some Norwich sporting uh, friends of mine who, who who wouldn't have a bad word said about him. So uh, maybe I mean, it's... I wouldn't be surprised if they if they <clears throat> kind of pull that ten back yeah, to, to, exactly. to more of a, an eight or even a, an extra sort of six in there. So yeah. remains to be seen. Okay, uh, Norwich going to stay up. Yes, I think. I, wow, I, that I, was that was forceful. I liked I think it. That, uh, I mean, I'm someone who normally would have massive alarm bells ringing when I look at the um, discrepancy in XG ratio to what actually happened, but. I think the the weight of evidence behind what Stuart Webber does and continues to do, I think just having someone who's who's intelligent and understands what it takes to win football matches in that role when you've got 19 other clubs who probably don't have anyone who's that bright doing the same thing just gives you a, a big advantage. And um, not only did he, what is what he did at Huddersfield so impressive, but just the manner from which after he left both recruitment and what was going on on the pitch mm. just fell away very quickly I think he was the important one rather than David Wagner who we have massive respect for mm. so so long as Weber's there and so long as people don't cotton on to the fact that they should probably be trying to get him into their club I think they'll be fine like the rumours were suggesting that Manchester United were trying to do just that this which, summer right? which was after I said it on a, uh, on, a on a national newspapers podcast <laughs> so you're, you're the reason <laughs> yeah exactly I see come at me okay. Norwich yeah. <laughs> I think there are some really interesting challenges here how will this team cope with not being the more technically proficient team in in almost all of their games, how will the defence cope with presumably having plenty of spells where they are under a lot of pressure? Uh, Will they be able to keep up this bizarre late goal-scoring streak? All of these things are are, are kind of up in the air, but I... Without wanting to sound pessimistic, I think all of these things I have some, some big question marks over. The last thing is... They've created this unbelievable atmosphere. The club's fans feel closer to the club than they ever have before. We know how difficult it is to stay positive when things aren't going well. And I just really, really hope that if things start slowly, if they're finding things a bit difficult to start with, it would be just desperately sad if 
for whatever reason, the fan sentiment turned again, mm. uh, turned against either the manager mm. or some of the players because they have given them probably the best season of their Norwich supporting life, the modern life, I would say. Uh, and we'd love to just see that stay, even if there's tough times ahead. Mm. Okay. Uh, let's move on to Sheffield United then. Um, the first thing I would like to say about Sheffield United is that Luke Freeman has joined from mm. QPR. Luke Freeman, who the only reason I know, and this is no disrespect to Luke Freeman, I don't know any footballers. The only reason I know who Luke Freeman is is because Alex Stewart, who normally appears on this podcast, a few years ago did a uh, he did a uh, a football manager extended series yeah, for um, for the set, set pieces. pieces. And I believe Luke Freeman was one of his Bristol City signings. Yeah, he would have been. Who took them all the way to a Champions League final. So wow. uh, that's, that's, I've got a sort of soft spot in my Another heart. Another good for Luke fact Freeman. about Luke Freeman. <clears throat> I've done some pretty extensive research on this, and you never quite know <laughs> the start, the, the, the sort of um, the genesis of a chant. Yeah. But I believe the first ever footballer whose name was put to Gala's Free From Desire <laughs> was Luke Freeman from Stevenage fans wow. uh, almost a decade ago. Okay. So not Will Grigg actually, but Luke Freeman. I can't right. believe we've just been told two Luke Freeman facts and neither of them were just the fact that he went to Arsenal when he was younger. I just assumed that's what you're both sure. going to say and then you both didn't say it and I was going to be bored because everyone <laughs> knows that. So. Well, he's earned his shot at the Premier League, put it that way. He was, okay. he was Arsenal youth, as George said, uh, but he's he, you know he went all the way to the very bottom of the of the professional game in England and basically has just had that really clear path. Mm. He's been very popular at every team he's been at, Stevenage, Bristol City, QPR. The last few years, he's been easily the on-pitch leader uh, in terms of, in a footballing sense, certainly, and I think in a sort of psychological sense in, in, in some cases as well. In what's been a poor QPR team, he's really carried them at times. Mm. Um, and he massively deserves his shot. Uh, and I really like that it's Sheffield United that signed him um, mm. uh, of any Premier League team. I think it's one that suits him. I think he can contribute a lot and uh, a manager that we like very much in uh, in Chris Wilder. So he's in a good place. Mm. OK, well, this is a good time then, I suppose, to, to ask you about Chris Wilder and uh, how does he get them to play that the way they do? So you could write a book on George's yeah, relationship with right. Chris Wilder. It's a complicated affair. Yeah, I'm an Oxford fan and he um, he was our manager when he took us out of the conference. Right. And then left. Uh, I think he, he left us when we were about fourth in the league. And what will surprise people who've watched Sheffield United now is that the reason why Oxford fans wanted him to leave was because the football was so bad. Right. And yet here he is taking Sheffield United into the Premier League, playing this bizarre <laughs> brand of like 3-5-2 that no one's ever really seen before, yeah. encouraging ma maximum creative freedom and positional freedom from his players, which yeah. is key to how they play. Um, I mean, people talk a lot, and I think we got quite bored towards the end of the season, people asking us about the overlapping centre-backs. Um, because yeah. whilst it is, I mean, whilst... You know, Chris Basham did maraud forward um, as if there was absolutely no problem with the centre-back suddenly being 40 yards up the pitch in, uh, in mid-game. Um, there are m many other facets to their play that were so impressive. Um, you, you, you know, you're looking at someone like Ollie Norwood or John Fleck, who, who are two guys who were just suddenly performing at a, a completely different level to how they had done the, the, before in their career, both mid-20s, not young players by any stretch of, of the imagination at all. And Wilder just seems to have a, have a way of looking at a squad of, of players and working out the best way to, to fit them all together. So looking at the, the transfers they've brought in so far this season, we talk about Freeman, who, who can either operate as a 10 or, or out wide. You look at Callum Robinson, who can either opposite, operate as a 10 or out wide. You have to wonder if maybe he's adding a few different options to his squad in order to, to not always play that 3-5-2, so they can shift to a right. four at the back if they need to. Um, but he's, uh, what, what he's done at Sheffield United, I mean, I think he... If there was an award for the best EFL manager of the last 10 or so years, given what he did at Oxford and then at Northampton and then at Sheffield United, um, he'd be the clear winner by miles. Wow, so. okay. Will, will you explain to me a little bit more about the positional freedom stuff? Do you need a special kind of player when you're thinking about transfers coming in who has the ability to be able to understand maybe a wider role on the pitch as it relates to what his teammates are doing? Because that lack of uh, positional stability mm. that we see with a lot of other teams... I suppose it, it requires players to have a, a better understanding of what everyone else is doing at once. Yeah, and it's one of those things that in a game, when you see it, it looks, you know, beautifully free uh, and, and as George kept saying the word freedom, and that's what it looks like on the pitch, the rotation of positions and people moving into areas that you wouldn't expect given where they are put on a, on a formation graphic, shall mm. we say. But the reality is, of course, that takes quite a long time to drill on the training pitch. And, and actually, to be able to do that, you have to have 
you have to be incredibly well structured, well drilled and to really mm. believe in what you're doing. So perhaps compared to joining another club, uh, getting into the Sheffield United way of playing might take a, a bit more time. Mm. Um, but I guess for, for Freeman and for Robinson, um, the the size of this move, the importance of this move for them um, and the fact that Chris Wilder would not have signed players unless they were proper workers because that is... he he. he he has many old school British manager elements to him and also this really sort of modern way of, of, of tactical flexibility. And mm. that's what makes him, that's what's made him so popular and so successful in the last few years. So, mm. um, yeah, I think that they're, they're, they're really good signings in that sense. Um, we think they're going to be signing another midfielder called Ben Osborne. And he's a, a classic sort of, he could play left wing back. Uh, he can play central midfield. He could probably play 10 at a push, technical, hardworking, bustly, um, and just sort of a smart player, and it all just kind of adds up that they're, they're just keeping a similar similar sort of thing. Would you describe many of Sheffield's players as uh, or United's players as, as utility players in that regard? Then that, that many of them can play those different positions, or is that is it just something that he's lucked out with a squad, or he's had to coach into them? I, th- I think it looks like that might be developing now. I mean, just by the couple of players he's brought in, um, but generally, I mean, their, their their team was so settled last season. Except, I should say, Chris Wilder loves strikers. He he is just totally and utterly obsessed with signing strikers. He's a hoarder. Every January, even if, you know, last season they had Billy Sharp and David McGoldrick in a in beautifully in tandem for the first half of the season. January comes and in comes Gary Medine and uh, and Scott Hogan on loan. Medine did a job in the end. I mean, Hogan was, was a fairly pointless <laughs> signing. I mean, he just stopped past strikers like there's no tomorrow. And uh, at the moment, they've only got four strikers on their books. Um, and they they are the age 33, 31, 34 and 30. Mm. Uh, Chad Evans and Leon Clark being the two that has looked pretty surplus to requirements to us. So it's just Sharp and McGoldrick really at the moment. Yeah. And um, and they're being linked to, to Morpé, who I mentioned earlier, who I guess would be in, in the mould of a, of, a, of a Billy Sharp, really, someone who just gets on the end of chances and puts them away. Um, and Ollie McBurney from Swansea is the other one who's a really exciting player. Um, can play as a target man, very good in the air, but also you know really good with the ball at his feet as well and carrying it um, through midfield. So there'd be two pretty sh- smart signings. And I guess given Wilder's adoration for strikers and, and the lack of both depth they have in that position at the moment and also um, with, with the, the age of the players they have, we'll see a few more coming in there mm. I thought by, the, by the beginning of the season. I wonder what the sort of <laughs> upper limit that Sheffield United will will spend on a player because uh, m- more and more we're seeing teams understand that it is likely that you will, or it is possible, shall we say, that you might get relegated again. And things will be a lot easier in 12 months' time if you haven't spent £80 million. Pounds. And for an Aston Villa that brings in a lot more revenue than Sheffield United off the pitch, um, maybe you have a bit more to work with. But I think that we've seen teams kind of pose a threat to their long-term future by, by spending too much or, or overextending themselves mm. uh, in the short term. So it doesn't look like Sheffield United are doing that. And they do have a, a, a bit of an ownership, a um, bit of shenanigans off the field that might have slowed things down a little bit. But if they could go up to 15 million quid for McBurney, I think that that would, that would be a very good way of spending that money. They scored a lot of goals from crosses last season. Um, they're they're very strong from set pieces, as you as you sometimes expect from a team that has three centre backs on the pitch. It's always mm. difficult um, for the opposition, if, especially if they've only got two centre backs to to mark man for man and and to be able to to combat that. Uh, McBurney adds that height, and he does get on the end of a lot of crosses. But he's also <coughs> he's sort of underrated uh, because of his size, underrated ball player, um, and, and he does like to drop deep. And I think he was not, he's another player that would be very happy playing in a in in a fairly fluid system. Um, uh, sort of contributing to build up play and, uh, mm. and also getting on the end of, uh, of the crosses. I think the one thing to add is if, if they do Simon Burney, I mean, crosses into the box. Well, I, I guess a part of a facet with the wing backs they played last season of their play, but you, you would think that he would be far better in a, in a kind of more regulate regulation four, two, three, one or something like that, where you do have these wingers um, providing service. And so I'd like to see them add some more, kind of attacking talent in wide areas personally, um, even if they are going to con- continue with the with the three five two, just to give them more options. Mm. Um, Side Ben Rama is a player from, from Brentford, who I think we think is, of their many um, gems, I think he's probably kind of the crown jewel, I guess, um, okay. who is being linked to a, a few clubs. And also Joe Lolly is another one who's at Nottingham Forest, who I think is a player who's that similar mould, who's direct, plays out wide and, and deserves a, a bit of a step up. He's been linked to Villa. So players in that mould who, who are wide men, who, who can create and score, and maybe just help out the, the load on the strikers. Mm. 
do, on a broader point, do you think that maybe there's a little bit of a of a, a paradox that's been created by the inflated TV money in the Premier League for teams who are at the top of the Championship now? Because as we say with Sheffield United, for example, if they don't spend a lot of money mm-hmm. and the directors knowingly do that despite the fact that, that that might or could likely lead to relegation again. But they do that knowing that they would be better placed the following season in the mm-hmm. championship to come back up again and the financial health overall of the club long term might be improved by yo-yoing between the two rather than spending a lot of money, being relegated again, and then perhaps taking three or four years like Villa did to get yeah, back yeah. up again. Does that Does that sort of create a bit of a paradox. It's kind of a conflict with, with, with how you would expect football teams to want to run. The idea previously would always be that the higher up, yeah. the better. But that might not be true now. I think it's the sort of thing that would keep me up at night if I was involved within a club, that balance, uh, as you mentioned. <clears throat> and from a fan point of view as well, it's, it's, it's really difficult to marry up the, the mid to long term and the short term because mm. you, you desperately want to go and feel like the team you're going to support has has been given the best chance to succeed on a short-term basis, whether that's match-to-match match or season-to-season. Season. Um, but I think, and especially from Sheffield United fans who have they've seen the Premier League um, in, what was it, probably 15 years ago now, maybe more. They've also been down to League One, so they've kind of seen a bit of everything. Um, and, you know, when I think of other teams that have done that and now back up in the Premier League, the likes of uh, Southampton, um, I suspect they might be, they might be less quick to sort of get a bit antsy and 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 start saying why didn't we spend more? Why didn't we show mm. more ambition? But that only lasts for so long because it can be difficult if you feel like they could have spent a bit more. It's an easy thing. It's an easy stick to beat someone with if 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 the season's not going well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the last question on United. Then uh, will they be staying up? I, th- I think that they. I've, I've been back and forth on this. Uh, early in the summer, I thought that they were unfairly seen as the favourites to go down. I think now they probably are the most likely of the three to get relegated. Um, but anyone who thinks they're going to be the whipping boys and anyone who thinks that, that it's, it's a dead cert they're going to get relegated, I think will be in for a shock. I think that they could be a team who who uh, surprise a couple of people early on in the season who maybe take them lightly because Chris Wilder will have them, I mean, in technical terms, bang up for it, I think is the way you put it. So um, <laughs> I, I think they'll... They might ruffle a few feathers, but but I think they probably are the most likely of the three to, to return to the championship. I think they will finish the highest of the three Ooh. promoted teams. I think that they have the least amount of stylistic compromise to make, um, which is a sentence I didn't think I'd ever say out loud. Um, you're on the, the TIFO football podcast, Alex. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It all goes I, here. I think I'm sitting in Alex Stewart's seat as well. <laughs> you so are. I'm really trying my best. He demands the good camera, by the way, just as you did really? this morning. So there's a lot of similarities Fair between two of your characters. on our podcast, I just say things are good or bad, and I will pretty much <laughs> stop at that. Um, no, I think, I think they have the least amount to change, really, because the, the very nature of their system, you know, they, they can, if they're under the cosh, they have a flat back five if they need to, and that's a good start. Um, they can drop the number 10 back into midfield uh, and give themselves a few more bodies in, in, in those central areas. Um, they can move one of the two strikers maybe out wide and, and play more of a, you know, the sort of thing that Wolves played when they won promotion, that Chelsea played under Conte with two sort of inside forwards. They've got a, a lot of things they can do, I think, to react to to whatever the opposition's doing um and i think they they will be more comfortable you know we go back to those intangibles the 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 gritty stuff you know since, uh, overcoming spells of pressure the sort of leadership quality that wilder has uh, yeah. and that that grit and stuff i i kind of believe in that to some extent so i'm feeling quite good about sheffield united i'm just a little concerned whether they're going to be able to score as many goals as they did last season mm-hmm. but I would say overall then, judging on your answers, do correct me if I'm wrong, that you are both, as a combined unit, <laughs> least confident of Aston Villa, most confident of Norwich City, and middling with slightly different opinions on Sheffield United. Is that accurate? It's strange when you say it out loud, isn't it? We'll see how we, we'll, we'll tell you on uh, yeah, first day of the season once we know what the squads are. But yeah, yeah I mean, I've got a couple right of politicians here. Yeah. Really do. <laughs> well, really it's do. difficult because we obviously... We follow these te- these teams are the best teams in the mm. leagues that we cover. The teams that we talked about every week, practically for for about six months. Um, Minus and, and, Leeds, right? Uh, well, yeah, the other one was Leeds. Teams that won the majority of their matches, played good football, had players that were thriving, and in all the teams of the year. Mm. It's also within our interest to sort of 
say that they're going to be really, really good because mm. we believe that the championship is a strong division and we, we don't we don't want it to be as easy as they go up and they come straight back down again. But I think, the re- you know, we do also believe in the reality that it's a big step up and it's very, very difficult to stay up. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of the championship and uh, the EFL generally as a strong leagues, I, <laughs> I asked you guys and you very kindly agreed to um, inform TIFO listeners as to a few names, for example, uh, of players who you think might be uh, might be prime for a place within the Premier League, mm. or uh, also I think we've got a list here that you provided with Fabi Ali of players well, who sort of already s- moved to bigger clubs. Yeah, it's kind of all the names that immediately sprung to mind. Yeah, I realised that while we've been on holiday, the majority <laughs> of them have moved to the Premier League, yeah. uh, which is a huge blow. Um, and actually, some of the other ones played for Norwich so right. um, you know their, their young fullbacks really caught the eye and, um, mm. uh, and and Godfrey as well so a lot of the you know the standout let's say sub 23 year old players from the championship last season and a couple from League One have got moved to the Premier League so it's a shame for us because now we have to find new ones but and it is uh, an indication of the strength that you were just talking about right I mean if they're if they're, if they're being sort of yeah. swallowed up whole as, as, we, as we were just talking about I, I think there's also now I mean going back to what you're saying about the financial discrepancy between the leagues it's getting to a stage now where Premier League clubs can afford... It used to be the, you know, the levy on English players and whatever, and you charge more for them. But you look at something like the Craig Dawson transfer from West Brom to, to Watford, where West Brom is suddenly getting six million quid for a player who you know, was good for them, but was a, you know, in his late 20s, who they can reinvest into, if, if they're wise about it, into, into youth and into multiple first-team players. Whereas for Watford, they're getting a solid centre-back for six million quid. It's a great deal. It's so cheap. So mm. I think that's why we're maybe seeing more... Mm freedom of movement between um, the Premier League and, and the Championship. And someone like James Justin, um, who's gone to, to Leicester from Luton for, for 10 or so million quid. I mean, his ceiling is is so high. A fantastic footballer, um, played left back for Luton, but but um, naturally is a right back. And for 10 million quid for a club just promoted from League One, I mean, it's huge money. But for Leicester, mm. it's, it's an absolutely fantastic signing because yeah. he's, he's, re- he's already made Premier League player now at the age of 21. So. Right. I think we'll continue to see this and, and we're just crossing our fingers that all these guys go on and, and do good stuff in the, in the Premier League. Yeah. It, I mean, it feels like if a handful of these guys make an impact mm. in, immediately or over the course of the next 12, 24 months, and this is going to just become a sort of feeding frenzy every summer with, with the sort of, maybe not the top teams. I know United signed Daniel James uh, and Spurs signed Jack Clark, but I see it as your Leicesters who appear to be trying to build a, a team of under 23 year old <laughs> English yeah. players. Um, these are, those are the teams that are just going to snap up any, anyone available for 10 million pounds, which is not much to them, but an awful lot for a, for a championship team uh, or a league one team. So I think it's something we could see more of, of course, mm. if the step up is too big and if these guys that we've been hyping up all this time end up being no more than sort of average squad players, then that pathway might close off. It's all about trends in football, isn't it? Mm. At the risk of being reductive, who's the best player on your list? Don't be reductive. <laughs> on, on the list of players who've already gone? or just yeah, I don't think I've already, actually shown gone. George the list. No, so no, George can see the list yeah, here. I'd say of those players, the one who had the best career, probably Justin. Justin, uh, James Justin. James Justin, yep. yeah. Okay. I am really excited to see Che Adams playing in the Premier League. I think he will be playing quite a lot immediately, which is a, a good start. I think Justin's got a bit more to break into that Leicester team than Adams does in, in the Saints team. Mm. And I just think he, he's, he's someone that people are going to be really impressed to see. I think he's going to score some goals. Okay. Hey guys, thanks so much for coming in. I really appreciate it. Would you tell listeners quickly where they can find you individually, not at your homes, uh, uh, <laughs> Southwest, Twitter no. <laughs> and, and the podcast as well. Yeah, absolutely. Which, so, we, which we will link in the description of, of the video and, and the podcast. It's very so. kind. We would love it if uh, some of the people who enjoyed listening to some EFL chat um, fancied giving us a go. We're doing a lot of preseason content at the moment, which is just ramping up. Um, I'll sort of, you know, it's a big few weeks for us, obviously, before the start of the season. So there'll be plenty going on. It'd be a good way to get involved. And you're on Sky TV all the time. We are on Sky TV yeah. some of it's the time. It's very exciting. <laughs> it is exciting. Yeah. yeah. I know. It's quite scary sometimes. Isn't it? <laughs> I imagine it would be. Yeah. I sweat a lot. And it's yeah. Just, yeah. But, right. um, me, t- me too, man. Yeah. hard to know what to do with your hands uh, on yeah. occasion. Right. Anyway. This thing. Uh, we yeah. are on Twitter at NTT20pod and we do like to hear from people if they are nice. Mm. So please do. Your your uh, solo Twitter name is uh, the Makalele role. Yes. Isn't it? Any reason why? Yes. Not not an EFL player. Uh, back in the day, the early Twitter days, a lot of people yeah. know will know the ones I'm talking about. It was a it was a simpler time, that's for sure. <laughs> it was. Uh, and I was about 
what, 17, 18, 19, and I did what everyone did, and I set up a blog, and all the good names were taken, uh, <laughs> and I am a, a childhood Chelsea fan, yeah. and um, Claude Makélélé very much for me, the, the linchpin of, of one of Chelsea's, or certainly the best Chelsea team I've seen in my lifetime. Although so. he, was, he was an EFL coach, briefly. He was an EFL At coach. At Swansea, so mm. not totally off-brand. So right, that's where yeah, that's yeah. come from, and now it feels a bit weird because sometimes, like Sky Sports News, will send a clip that we've been in, and sure. it'll say the McAuley role and you think that it looks wrong. Is it, yet, too, is it too late to change it now, do you think? I mean, I like it. I don't think you should change it. I think it. the general consensus from the, the OG followers would be that it, it would be a genuine disaster. Mm. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I love that you think people care that much. Uh, I, I actually, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, anyway, it will get changed at some point. And you are just at George Ellick, aren't yes, you? Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. Straightforward. So I like it. I like capital it. G, capital E, yeah. Uh, guys, thank you so much. <laughs> really you. appreciate Cheers. it. Have a lovely day. Thanks. And uh, we'll be back again next week. I think Alex will be back by then and we'll probably be doing some more sensible transfers. So see you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.